0: Okay, well, we are almost halfway through our serve campaign uh, here at Centennial, and our purpose statement uh, for this series and for everything else we do, Serving God by Serving Others. And in this first half of this series, we've been talking about serving God. Next week, yeah, we'll transition into the part uh, of serving others. And I want you to remember, next Sunday is a combined service at 11 o'clock for Public Servants Day. And uh, invite everybody you can. We're going to be serving those who serve. Make sure you invite people from the community to be your special guest. Uh, It could be a librarian, city employee, county employee, fire, police, medical, teacher, soldier, paramedic, whatever. In fact, uh, grab a couple invites this week. And if you're driving by and you see a construction site that says City of Caldwell, just stop and walk right through the tape and hand it up to them, okay? So, yeah, actually, we do have uh, some opportunities for second service on the table out in the lobby. Uh, there are some packages of invites, and it has the address or the, the title on it, and you can take that stack of invites to, uh, it's like City Hall or the coroner's office or the fire station. And take a, a box of donuts with it, and it gives you instructions right on the top. And so first service took some. Now second service hopefully can back clean up and take all the rest. And right, uh, right away this week, I hope you'll get it started uh, on Monday or Tuesday, starting to get that done. Uh, also, after the service, don't forget to get your tickets for the better or worse event two weeks from tonight. And yeah, we're going to have a great time with that. Uh, Well, last Sunday at the end of our message, Increase Our Faith, we discovered that the highest form of worship is obedience. Uh, Following what Jesus said is the best evidence that we truly love him and we believe in his truth. Uh, And today we're gonna continue that line of thinking with our message on serving by submission. And so we're headed to 1 Kings 19 this morning First Kings 19, and we're going to look at a short life sketch uh, of one of my favorite Bible characters, a rough and tumble, courageous, no-nonsense prophet named Elijah. And when we meet up with Elijah right now in chapter 19, he has just had the most victorious experience in his life, followed quickly by the lowest valley he's ever been in. And so we're in chapter 19, First Kings, and we'll start in verse number 9. I'm going to finish chewing my cough drop so I can read. just thought I'd inform you that there was a pause there. <clears throat> All right, First Kings nineteen nine, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and brake in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because The children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, throw down thy altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meola shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapes the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence. And uh, we're going to look at this sketch on Elijah today because it corresponds totally with our lives. Every single one of us has a choice in every situation. We can either comply with God's will or we can rebel against God's will. Now, complying with God's will is worship and rebelling against God's will uh, is the opposite of worship. But no matter the circumstance, we always in every moment have this choice. And real worship is when we yield ourselves completely to God's purposes. Now, one of the Bible words uh, for this is the word submit. And submit, for one reason or another, just seems to not be a real popular word in our culture. But I want to tell you what it means. Uh, Submit means that you release control to another. That's what it means. You release control to another. And all through the New Testament, we see the word submit. Uh, and, and for such a bold and tough man, we're going to find this morning that Elijah was always ready to release control of his life to God. Uh, sometimes our culture paints this picture uh, that macho means that you never submit to anyone or anything. And, and, and yet we find some of the most famous words in all of history, Father, not my will, but thine be done, And of course, those are the words of the most macho man who's ever lived on the planet. Now, Jesus is the model of submission and authentic worship. He said to his disciples in John 8, I do always those things that please him, that please the Father. And so tough has nothing to do with not submitting. In fact, it's just the opposite. Tough means that you're tough enough to give up control. And you submit because you trust that God's purpose is higher than yours. And that's real courage. And we're not only called to submit to God, we're called to submit to each other. And we'll talk more about that as we get into the serving others part of the campaign. Uh, But this morning, we want to talk about Elijah and his submission to God. We first meet Elijah in 1 Kings 17. And and we find out very little about his background. His parents are never mentioned. Uh, we know what his name means. His name means, my God is Jehovah. We know that he's from a wilderness region uh, on the other side of the Jordan River. And uh, we also know that he has gone before the most wicked king in the history of Israel and told him, hey, as the Lord God of Israel lives, king, it won't rain until I come and tell you. And that's a pretty bold statement Uh, a prediction or prophecy based on his faith in God. Uh, The New Testament book of James describes him this way. It says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So there's that sketch, but all in all, we don't really know much about him as a person, but we do know about his submission to God. And we do know about the wondrous way that God worked through his submission. And uh, that's where we wanna spend our time this morning. So Elijah served through submission under many different conditions. And we're gonna look at four specific conditions this morning, the notes are in your bulletin and they're also on the YouVersion app. Uh, first, we see that Elijah submitted in times of solitude. In times of solitude. So I want you to go back to 1 Kings 17. And I want to read you a little bit about what was happening in Elijah's life. 1 Kings 17, verse number 2. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, and By the way, if, if you like to underline, I'll have you underline a few things. So here's what God said to him Get thee hence. Turn thee eastward, hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. So, this is a command of God. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Now, look at verse 5. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. That's pretty powerful. This is an act of worship. Okay, we, no music happened, there was no church service, but this was an authentic act of worship. He went and did what God said. For he went and dwelled by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And so Elijah uh, goes and tells Ahab, uh, hey, buster, God's not pleased with your idolatry, It's not going to rain for a very long time. And uh, naturally, that didn't make Ahab very happy. It especially did not make Jezebel, Ahab's pagan wife, very happy. And uh, they both wanted Elijah's head. And and so God hid him in this place of solitude. Now, it's interesting because more than one of God's servants has been shaped through solitude. Uh, It is often in the stillness of isolation that we learn to hear God's voice and we learn to trust God's provision. Now, you think back uh, in Genesis, Abraham experienced this, and Jacob, uh, especially Joseph, sold by his own brothers into slavery, removed from all the people he'd ever known, all alone in a strange land, Moses went through God's school of solitude. David did when he was running from King Saul trying to survive another day. Jesus spent 40 days uh, by himself in the wilderness fasting before his temptation by Satan. Uh, The apostle Paul spent his first three years as a believer in the wilderness of Arabia. And Elijah is hidden by this brook of water somewhere close to the Jordan River living in submission to God's word. And yeah, the word of the Lord came to him to go, so he went. And he's spending his days waiting and waiting and then waiting some more. And this is tough, right? Waiting, waiting, waiting some more. And there wasn't even Wi-Fi, right? I mean, can you imagine waiting anywhere without Wi-Fi or without a phone or without a book He didn't have any books, no magazines, no nothing, just Elijah and the brook. That's it. That's all that was there. And he's not even able to go out and get food. In one of the most incredible miracles of the Bible, God commanded ravens to feed him at the brook. And if you read what it says, it says they brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. So they brought him the whole sandwich, both times, right? And it wasn't just part, it was the whole thing, bread and flesh. And God commands these birds to bring him food. We don't even know what this looks like. We can only imagine. I've heard all sorts of theories on uh, how the ravens found the food. Now, one guy said maybe it was roadkill, right? The chariots are going by on the main road, and they hit a rabbit, and the ravens swoop in and grab Elijah's breakfast. Uh, Somebody said maybe in the nearby village, one raven would go to the baker's house, and another would go to the butcher's house, and they'd meet back up at the brook. Uh, There's another far-fetched one. I kind of like this one, that the ravens went and took fresh bread from the palace every morning. Uh, took Ahab's bread and went and fed Elijah with it. I don't know how it worked. Uh, I personally am not that fond of ravens uh, where, you know, if they swarmed in to bring, it's kind of like the birds, Alfred Hitchcock type thing. Uh, I just remember Cody when he was like eight years old and we told him, son, this movie could be a little scary, but it's okay. Oh, I want to watch it. So we let him watch the birds and, uh, yeah, have you ever seen The Birds? It's like a 1950s movie. And he couldn't sleep the whole night. Uh, he was just like frightened out of his mind. Uh, and he's never forgotten it. But ravens. And, uh, and there probably come a point in time, like after like the eighth month of ravens bringing you food, there probably has to come a time where you say, forget this. I'm going back to civilization. I'm going to find an Arby somewhere. This isn't working out for me. God, you're going to have to go find somebody else. But Elijah stayed. He stayed past the brook, completely drying up with the lack of rain. You say, well, what did he learn there? Well, my guess is he probably learned patience. (laughs) That's the one thing that he could learn, probably patience. Do you know patience is the one thing that God says develops us in the maturity. It's the one thing. James says, let patience have her perfect work that she may be perfect or complete or mature. It's the one thing. And if you don't learn to submit to God in solitude, then you have just wasted a whole lot of time, right? It took 40 years of solitude For Moses to be ready to hear from God at the burning bush. And God comes and talks to him at the burning bush, and he still doesn't submit at the first opportunity. He's still got questions. You know, Bible characters are just people like us, and some of them were extra hard-headed. You how many of you know somebody that's extra hard-headed? Okay. Yeah, some of you are pointing... That's, that's probably not appropriate here at church. Hey, it could be even, it could be you, right? You raise your hand for yourself. Uh, when Elijah had been there long enough, though, God said, okay, we're ready for a new thing. So we're going to move out of the solitude, and now we're going to go into famine. You've been fed every day by the Raven Express. Now we're headed for famine. I want you to look at chapter 17, verse 8. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now look at verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Worship is happening right here. Elijah obeying what God says is the highest form of worship. Worship. Submission. So in times of famine, you know, Zarephath, it's so unique because Zarephath wasn't even in Israel. Uh, It was in Sidon, north of Israel. That means that Elijah had to leave the brook, walk all the way out of his own country in about 20 miles into another country to go to this village. And he's headed to meet up with a Gentile widow that God is going to direct somehow to feed him. And he gets to the gate of the city. Wouldn't you know it, there's a widow out gathering sticks. And Elijah says to her, hey, could you think, I could please get a drink? And as she's about to leave to go get him a drink, he says, uh, hey, could you bring me an egg McMuffin too? Uh, sort of like that. He says, hey, could you get me a loaf of bread too? And so the widow, uh, she stopped everything and she kind of gave him an earful. She let him know her predicament. Okay, she didn't have any bread. She had a handful of meal at the bottom of a barrel and she had a tiny squirt of oil in a container. And in fact, she was out gathering sticks for the fire to cook her last meal for her and her son. And can we just admit that we have no idea what that's really like? I seriously, right? She's going to get sticks to make the last meal that her and her son will ever have because they're so poor. The famine is so bad. We have no idea what that means, right? When we get hungry, you know, we grab an energy bar, okay? Uh, We're not that hard up, okay? They're in a famine, and the famine was so great that she and her son would starve to death, and no one would even notice because other people's lives were just as difficult. It was a day-to-day survival, is a time of famine. But Elijah shows up at just the right time. He's a guy who's got faith for the famine because he's been to the brook. He's been fed by the clockwork birds. He's living by faith and now his faith that's a habit in his life that is a habit he's going to be able to share with the widow and her son during the most destitute days of their need. And so Elijah says to the woman, listen, it's okay. Uh, don't be afraid. Go, go start making the cake. But before you make the cake for you and your son, how about you make me a little cake first? Now, some of you are thinking, what audacity. Isn't that just like a man? Right? is not that just like a preacher? As uh, you may have missed verse 14. Hey, verse 14 says, "For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste. Neither the cruse of oil fail until the day the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth." Wow. Now I want you to notice the first words of verse 15. This is so unique. It says, "And she went and did." So this is submission. She went and did. God had prepared her heart to submit to this strange request. Right? Here a guy walks up out of the blue and says, listen, can I get a drink? uh, By the way, uh, go make me a cake first. I know you've only got enough to make one for you and your son. You're about to die, but make me one first. I want you to translate this to you, right? You're in the Walmart parking lot. Okay, This guy shows up, and he's got camel hair on. Okay, how many are like, that? strike number one? And you're looking around like there's motorhomes in the parking lot. Where did he come from? Right? I walk to Walmart a lot, so I see all that. But, um, and, and then you kind of like, as he approaches, there's like this smell that's coming with him. Like maybe he lived by a brook that dried up a long time ago, and no water to wash. And, I, and he says, uh, hey... You got anything to drink? We're like, yeah, I might have a bottle of water somewhere. He's like, hey, you got a fried chicken? And you're, you're immediately, like the first word he said, you're already walking towards security, walking toward the lights, walking toward the door. This is a strange request. And, and yet, she did exactly what he had asked because God had prepared her heart. Sure enough, every morning she gets up. The barrel has one more scoop of meal to make another cake. The oil has one more squirt to make another cake. Week after week, month after month, year after year, it is a miracle of God's provision that shows us how we're supposed to live. If we have the faith to submit, God has the power to provide. And and so Elijah uh, is there at this widow's house for years. And uh, while he's there, something horrible happened. Uh, Her son, her only son, became very sick. In fact, he became so sick that he was no longer breathing. And, And the widow woman who had lived her entire life under paganism and superstition, she comes in to Elijah, I knew this was too good to be true. You're just here to remind me of my sin. You're just here to kill my son. And she buys into every superstition she's ever known. And Elijah takes the little boy up to his own room, lays him on his own bed, and begins to cry out to God. And he is extremely upset. And it, it's so unique because I want you to notice this in verse 20. Elijah accuses God of something. And by the way... Uh, some people say, you should never tell God how you really feel. Actually, you should, because God's the only one who can handle how you really feel. Look what he says, verse 20. He cried to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slain her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times, cried to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. I want you to notice something very peculiar here. Verse 22, and the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Did you know that God submitted to Elijah? God submitted to Elijah's request, to his prayer of faith. And Elijah took the boy back down to his mom and said, see, he's alive. And she said, now I know you're a man of God. So there was this time of famine that took place. But then I want you to see in times of conflict, uh, right after this, God calls Elijah to go and show his face to Ahab. And you may remember that Elijah's face was the face that was on every wanted poster in Israel. Okay, you go to any post office in Israel, it had this rough drawing of a long-haired man in camel hair. And it's like, find this man, the king and the queen want him dead. Look at chapter 18, it came to pass after many days. The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show thyself unto Ahab, it's another command, that I'll send rain upon the earth. Now look at verse two, and Elijah went. Elijah went, submission, worship, in a time of conflict. He knew what he was walking into. He knew it was going to be bad. And verse 17, it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, art thou he that troubleth Israel? And Elijah answering, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. And your mom goes to college. Right? I mean, it was rough. Okay, I don't know if you ever knew about that one, but uh, your wife's a Jezebel. <laughs> I mean, it's actually true, right? It, there's not many people on earth who could say, your wife's a Jezebel and get away with it. You could with this guy. His wife actually was Jezebel. They've got major conflict going here. And, and here's the interesting thing. Even though nobody in their right mind wanted to be an enemy of the king because they didn't want to be beheaded, God led Elijah to be the adversary of the king. And Elijah understood that this king was simply a man. And if God is for us, who can stand against us? Not Ahab, not Jezebel, not the prophets of the idols. And so in his full submission to God, his great act of worship to God, Elijah challenges Ahab to a God versus idols meeting on the top of Mount Carmel. It's an actual mountain. It's not just figurative, all right? How many of you would be like, I'm in, mountain of Carmel, boom. Is there a mountain of chocolate? Close, okay? So uh, 850 false prophets, one prophet of God. Elijah stands up on the high place close to the valley of Jezreel, centrally located where tribes are coming from every direction. And he calls out to the people, How long halts you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. It's a time of conflict. You know, Elijah brought up a pretty good point on this topic of submission. If God is really God, why in the world wouldn't you follow him? <laughs> He's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, eternal, changeless. Who or what else could possibly be worth following? you know people either serve God through submission or they serve themselves at their own agenda? And there's really not a third option. You can't say you believe in God unless you're prepared to do what he says. Otherwise, you don't really believe. You're a Christian in name only. And at this point, there were a lot of people in Israel who were God followers in name only. And and so Elijah said, okay, let's do a challenge. Uh, You boys build an altar and I'll build one over here. And and then uh, we'll each put a bullock on the altar and some wood, but no fire. And then we're gonna have a fire-making contest, okay? And whoever loses gets voted off the island. And here's how it's gonna work. Uh, Whoever's God can light the fire from heaven is the winner. So they said, okay, you're on. They set up their altar. They put the bullock on. They start chanting to their God, Baal. And they chant from morning till noon, nothing. They start leaping all around the altar. Then they jump on the altar. Around noon, Elijah says, hey, guys, uh, maybe God's busy. Call louder. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's taking a nap. So they cry louder, and they start cutting themselves, which is never a sign of God worship. And they kept it up all through the afternoon. No Baal, no fire. Well, Elijah finally calls everyone over and he repairs the altar of God that had been broken down. He takes 12 stones and builds the altar up. Then he places the bullock in the wood and then he said something very strange because there had been a famine and a drought for three and a half years. He said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the sacrifice. The water is incredibly rare at this point. But it just so happens that one of the peruvial not peruvial perennial, wrong P word. One of the perennial fountains in Israel that's still flowing is right on top of Mount Carmel. And so they pour the water and he says, do it again. Then he says, do it a third time. 12 barrels of water poured all over the sacrifice. And then Elijah lifts up his voice to God it says this. Look at verse 36, chapter 18. Middle of the verse. He said, Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I'm thy servant, and that I've done all these things at thy word. By the way, that's submission. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God that thou hast turned their back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. I don't know if you've ever had a fire so hot that it burnt stones Right? Like you went out in the woods and you built the fire. Did it burn stones? Yeah, probably not. This fire was so hot that it burned everything. Fire consumed the sacrifice. Elijah kills all the false prophets present. And then the rain comes. But this is not the end of the story. I want you to go into chapter 19 with me. Verse number one. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Rut row, (laughs) right? Ahab told Jezebel. Those are some of the worst words ever. Jezebel is by far the worst woman ever in history. Right, So if anybody has ever said to you, ladies, you're the worst woman in history, you can say, well, my pastor said Jezebel is. So there you go. Jezebel, Ahab told her, right? He he narked on Elijah. Ahab told Jezebel, and and he said, he killed all your prophets. He burnt the sacrifice that came from heaven, and people were saying stuff, and Jezebel sends a messenger, And she says to Elijah, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them but tomorrow about this time. There is a warrant of death out for Elijah. Now look at verse three. And when he saw that, he went and prayed and said, God, what should I do? No. Anybody who thinks that... That's what it is. You're not reading your actual Bible, okay? You're just listening to what I said. That, that just goes to show you, you could be tricked. You need to have the actual Bible, okay? And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, And said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. So here's this fourth place of submission. In times of discouragement and doubt. In times of discouragement and doubt. Elijah hears Jezebel's threat. He runs down from the Mount Carmel region all the way through Israel, all the way through Judah, leaves his servant at the southernmost city, Beersheba, and then runs another day into the wilderness. Okay, this is more than an ultra marathon. He ran over a 100 miles without stopping, and he did not have proper footwear. Okay, Just (laughs) just thinking about it, right? My feet hurt just actually reading about this. And he said, God it's enough. Kill me now. And, and here's why this is in the Bible. This is so important. I hope you get this. Here's why it's in the Bible. Because maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been at the place where you said, God, it's enough. I can't take anymore. Just kill me now. I'm at the end of my rope. Hopelessness sinks in. And hopelessness many times finds God's people right after a great victory. And it's in the darkest situation that we find the greatest comfort from our heavenly father. As we noted, this is the first time that Elijah went somewhere without God's leading. This is the first time that he didn't wait to hear from God because fear got to him discouragement got to him, doubt got to him, exhaustion got to him. He's more tired than he's ever been. He's running for his life, and he knows deep inside that he's also running from God's will, and he falls into a deep sleep underneath a juniper tree. And while he's asleep, God sends uh, one of the angels, who also happens to be a chef, uh, down to make up a heavenly meal for his servant. And so Elijah's out, and then the angel starts tapping him, like, "Oh, arise and eat. And Elijah kind of looks around, and he he sees a cake on the fire. He sees this big canteen of water right next to him, and he realizes he's been upgraded. He went from the raven catering service to the angel catering service, and Elijah eats and he falls back asleep. It's like Thanksgiving Day, right? (laughs) You eat, you fall asleep, then you eat some more, then you fall asleep again. And he eats and falls asleep, and the angel lets him rest, and then he wakes him up and says, eat again. Now look at verse 7. This is such a powerful verse. The angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him and said, arise and eat because, now look at this, because the journey is too great for thee the journey is too great for thee god knows better than anyone else when the journey is too great for you he knows more about you than you know about yourself he loves you more than you could ever understand and uh, sometimes you hear well-meaning people say things like this you know god will never give you a burden so big you can't carry it but that's, this verse says that's not true. It's not true. Elijah had a burden he couldn't carry. He had one. The journey's too great for him. There's a reason why it says in Psalm 55, cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. There's a reason why in 1 Peter 5:7 it says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. There's a reason it says in Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what the reason is? Sometimes the burdens are too big. Sometimes they're too big. Elijah doesn't have anywhere to turn. It's enough. He requested for himself that he might die. He's going through depression, discouragement, whatever you want to call it. It's a rough spot. He doesn't know what to do. The burden is too big. And yet, God was there to provide what's needed when the journey was too great. And if you submit to him, there are going to be some times when the load is too heavy and the journey is too great, but he'll walk with you and he'll strengthen you through the valley of doubt and fear and discouragement. I love verse 8. It's so good. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat, 40 days and 40 nights. All right, that's a powerful meal, right? And right, That had some serious protein in it. That had some serious antioxidants in it. 40 days and 40 nights on one meal. Now, you've been there. You're like... You're, you're eating this meal, right? It's the best meal ever. You're like, man, I'm not going to have to eat again for a week. But the next day you got up and ate, didn't you? Right? So we say it, but, but it's not true. A few weeks ago, uh, I flew back from India and uh, my last flight was through San Francisco. And we landed like on the runway like 12 minutes before my flight, my next flight was supposed to take off. And so I'm like, yeah, there's no way. I've got to go through customs, and then I go, go out and go back in. And, and so I missed my flight, and I had to stay in San Francisco. And uh, so I ended up getting a hotel over in Oakland, and I drove over there. And across from my hotel, there was an In-N-Out burger. Ah! Right? I like, I walk in. I'm about to fall over from... Exhaustion, but I walk in like man, I need a double double. And and they fix me up and I eat my double double and drink my tea, and I go back in my room like you know that's a good consolation price. It it's okay. I've got my double-double, everything's good. I probably won't have to eat again. The next morning, five o'clock, I get up at the hotel, eat in their breakfast. Okay. Right? Uh, The meals that we like best don't last for 40 days and 40 nights. This one did. And uh, where does Elijah go? He heads for Mount Horeb, the same place where Moses had seen the burning bush, the same place where Moses had received the second set of 10 commandments written with the finger of God. That's where he went. And even though it was only three or four days away, it took him 40 days to get there. Now, maybe that's where your life is right now. You're pedaling hard, and you're getting nowhere, right? It's like riding a bike up a mountain. You got it on the the gear where you're spinning, but you're like spinning and not moving. And I always feel bad when I'm driving up a mountain and I pass somebody on a bike trying to do that. Isn't that crazy? You're pedaling hard and getting nowhere, and Elijah gets to the top of the mountain. He finds a cave to stay in. He hears the voice of God What are you doing out there, Elijah?" And he gives this answer and God says, "'Go stand on the mountain.'" God's power passes by, similar to how it happened in the days of Moses. And the wind was so strong that boulders were thrown by it and smashed into pieces. But God wasn't communicating through the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there's a fire, but God's not in the fire. And then there's a still small voice. And I want you to notice what happened verse 13. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, he, was wrapped, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Now, I want you to notice what Elijah says, that if you underline or circle in your Bible, I want you to note some words in this verse. This is, this is so important. Verse 14, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel, that's other people, have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down the altar, slain thy promise with the sword, and I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. You think maybe discouragement had caused Elijah to have an I focus, a me focus, and he's not thinking about what God wants. He's not thinking about uh, the good of other people. He's thinking about the effect of it on himself. Now, I'm not trying to go after him because this is where we're at all the time. Well, when we go through discouragement, and doubt, and depression, all this stuff, what do we think about? Me. Right? How am I going to make it through? How do I feel? Uh, when's it going to end for me? This happens to us. Now I want you to notice how God brought him comfort. This is so amazing. Okay, look what God says to him in verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go. The Lord said to him, Go. The God didn't say, Elijah. You know what, buddy? you're right. You have worked hard. You know what, Elijah? You're the best prophet I've ever had, right? You could take a shower once in a while, but you're a great prophet. Elijah, you're you're the bomb, man. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, There's nobody on the God team who's better than you. God didn't say any of that. God didn't send anybody to come and Help him by giving him words of affirmation. God said, Go. God gave him a new job to do. And this is the ticket out. Okay, so God listens to his cry of desperation, gives him new instructions. He says, Go. Now I want you to notice verse 19. So he departed thence. How did Elijah get out of the pit of despair? out of discouragement, out of self-pity, out of doubt. He found a way to submit to God's instructions again. And this is the way out for every one of us. Submit to God's voice. And you say, well, I've never heard God's voice. Now, the truth is you're not gonna audibly hear it, but you'll hear God speak through his word. You'll hear God whisper from his spirit to your spirit. His spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're the children of God. The only way to escape the clutches of human weakness is to fully yield your life to God. And remember the definition of submission, to release control to another. Father, not my will, but thine be done. You say, listen, I don't know God's will for my life. If I knew God's will for my life, I'd do it. And if you don't know God's will for your life, start with what you know to be God's will for every believer. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There are things you know to be God's will for everybody. Serve one another. Stop worrying. Renew your mind. Follow Jesus daily. Pray without ceasing. Be filled with the Spirit. Live a life of generosity. Once we commit to doing what God's already revealed to us, the Holy Spirit guides us to next steps. When you submit to the Spirit, he guides you to the next thing. But when you refuse the Spirit's leading, eventually you limit his work in your life. So we see Elijah God says, Elijah, go hide by the brook. So he went. Hey, Elijah, go to Zarephath. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. And Elijah went and showed himself to Ahab. Elijah, go return on thy way. So he departed thence. Submission in every circumstance. is the ultimate way to serve God, and and here's the faith challenge. Submission enhances relationships, but rebellion diminishes them. Submission enhances relationships, but rebellion diminishes them. This is all relationships, not just with God. There's a sad story in 1 Samuel about King Saul, the first king of Israel. King Saul started out as one of God's choice servants. He was humble, he was submissive, he was courageous. But then God told him to go and destroy Amalek, and he didn't fully submit. Uh, He let the people keep herds of animals, allegedly so they could sacrifice them to God. But God had said, destroy them all. He let wicked King Ahab remain alive, and God had said, destroy him. He did most of what God said, but not all. Not a big deal, right? Well, Samuel the prophet came to him with this word from God. This is 1 Samuel 15. He said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. It's better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams... For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is his iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Wow. Submission is the ultimate way to worship God. But it has to be full submission. And, and so, what is it that you're refusing? to give God control of in your life. In what area is the spirit leading you to move and you've pushed away? When you submit fully, that's when your relationship gets restored. That's when it begins to grow. But the longer you rebel, the less of a relationship you have with your heavenly father. Not because his love is diminished, but because God honors obedience as the highest form of love and worship. And so we serve by submission. Let me pray with you. God, we thank you for the treasures of your word that help us to understand truth for our lives today. We know that your word is true and that it applies to us in 2020, just as much as when this happened to Elijah. And so we pray that we would take these lessons of submission and that you would allow them to filter down into our souls. And that would we'd be able to come before you this week and say, God, I submit. I know it's the only way out. That if things are tough, hey, I've had enough, I can't take anymore but I know you have more for me to do. And so I pray that you'd give me the courage to follow you and help me in my life to submit as the highest form of worship to you. And we pray that you bless us now as we go from this place and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.